0: Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us again. Just as a uh, warning, we are going to be touching on some subjects that might trigger some listeners. If you or somebody you know happens to have an eating disorder, Please make sure that you seek help or have them seek help. As a reminder here, we are not your primary care provider. We are simply giving you some information and talking about some subjects that based off of the physiology and the psychology for how we work as humans. The topic that we're going to be discussing today revolves around how we go about regulating when we eat, how we eat, how much we eat which is going to involve some psychology, some physiology. And because there is psychology within there, as well as some sociology within there, there are some issues that can come about. And if you start listening and hearing things that kind of ring true with how you might approach eating, please make sure that you reach out to your primary care physician and see if you are suffering from any of the issues that we might be uh, approaching here within this discussion. So it's nearing the holidays in 2023 here as we're recording this episode. And one of the things that happens pretty much anytime we get towards the holidays is we start talking about overeating and issues with overeating and how We'll, we will hear comments from colleagues, from friends, from family members, or we may even have the thoughts ourselves about how I have to skip this meal because I'm going to be having a, a holiday feast. And what we have to remember here is that one meal in itself or one set of meals within a week or a party season, as the holidays tend to be, is not going to ruin all of the work that you've done towards being quote unquote healthy, or if you're someone that is concerned about their body composition or concerned about their uh, body weight, the single holiday meal, the single uh, feast, even if it happens to be multiple feasts in a day, and all to your pursuits. And so let's talk about this and we will try to talk about this in, in a manner that Uh, is going to focus on the aspects that are going to kind of delve into stuff we've already talked about, but it's also going to look at how we can better phrase and better frame our approach to not just eating during the holidays, but eating in general. So what's going to be regulating when we eat, how we eat, and how much we eat? There's a couple of things that are going to come into play when we start looking at when we eat, why we eat, and how much we eat. And most of this looks into feedback loops within our physiology. And the feedback loops within the physiology are, are hormonally controlled from various spots in the body. We have a whole host of hormones that are going to be regulating my sense of hunger and my sense of, satiety. that is, am I hungry or am I full? So there's a whole bunch of these hormones that are going to come into play they are going to regulate, am I hungry or am I full? And some of them have gotten a lot more... Uh, press recently with the uh, use of the GLP-1 style medicines in terms of weight loss. But all of those hormonal signals are all going to lead to the hypothalamus. And then from the hypothalamus, it's going to head out into other areas of the brain, in particular the limbic system, that is going to drive my desire to eat or not eat based off of changes in a couple of key hormones here. And the couple of key hormones that are going to come into play here are going to be dopamine and serotonin. There are other hormones that come into play. There are other neurotransmitters that that are going to come into play. But those are the two key ones here. Within those hormones, the dopamine and the serotonin and the areas that are being stimulated by the hypothalamus are linked with other behaviors within our normal everyday psyche, within our normal everyday behaviors. Most of them are going to be linked with uh, reward responses. And because they're linked with reward responses, the desire to get a reward is going to drive a lot of our eating behavior. And some of that reward behavior gets linked in with social cues and psychological cues that can lead to increased consumption of foods in social settings. and that increased consumption of food in social settings sometimes leads to the, uh, the, st- the saying, uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we diet, uh, as, uh, as one of them, with the idea that you're going to somehow compensate later for what you're doing today. And the problem when we start looking at this eating issue from that avenue is that we somehow start having this idea that food and having food and eating food or eating large quantities of food or eating specific types of food becomes inherently evil, some somehow damaging, and that we have to somehow atone for, somehow make up for eating it in subsequent days. And the problem with this is is that it comes from a, a bad mindset, to, to simplify the idea down here. The bad mindset that we're looking at is related to what we, something we talked about previously, and that's the idea about the, the calorie issue and the fact that because for most of us, this idea of, okay, I'm going to have a large Thanksgiving meal, or I'm going to have a large Christmas meal, or I'm going to have a large New Year's Eve uh, meal. All of those big meals that we have, we come up with this, okay, kind of tit for tat arrangement where we're going to pay, pay the chit off. We're going to pay, pay the price for eating what we want to eat today by doing something to compensate for eating what we want to eat. And what that does is that actually kind of skews the psychology of eating. And when we make this skew in the psychology of eating, we don't eat because we eat because we need to eat. We eat for something else. We eat either because we're going to make food a reward in itself, or we're going to make food a punishment in itself. And so what ends up happening is that when we start looking at this, I can't eat Meals on Wednesday or Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, because I know I'm going to eat a whole bunch of stuff on Thursday, or I'm going to go ahead and eat on Thanksgiving day, but I'm going to compensate for that eating on Thanksgiving day by doing five hours of exercise either prior or afterwards. And all of this comes into a misguided notion about what do I need in order to survive? and the psychological reward for doing something that is pleasing and pleasurable and something that is soci- socially acceptable for me to do and we start making these kind of equations in our in our mind as to oh it's okay for me to do it this way because I'm going to pay it off later on we start a mindset that equates eating and equates food as being bad because somehow we see eating, eating large meals, eating series of large meals as the problematic start for weight gain or the problematic start for fat gain because we see fat as not being something pleasing. And when we're talking about pleasing, we're talking about something that is aesthetically pleasing, something that is body image-wise pleasing. And we do this mainly out of social pressures. The social presses have changed and social pressures have changed with the idea of the body positivity that's come out. The body positivity that's come out has been mainly geared towards female body image more than male body image, even though over the last couple of years, there's been a push towards the, uh, quote, dad bod, in quote, uh, body image, whereas on the female body image, we've started to accept the gambit of body images as being socially acceptable. And that's very important when we start looking at this idea about the wrongfulness of thinking about food as being something problematic. That's the crux of the idea here, is that when we start to make these justifications, we're starting to see food as the pitfall to what we need. And part of it is looking at, okay, there is this 3,000 calorie meal I'm going to eat on Thursday for Thanksgiving. But I don't understand that just my body functioning on a daily basis needs 3,200 calories worth of energy. But I don't see it that way. All I do is I see it, okay, there's 3,000 calories in this meal. That means I have to expend 3,000 calories in the gym because I have this misconception that calorie balance is going to be weight balance. And it's that misguided notion of calorie balance being weight balance that causes some of these issues to come about. Going back into the physiology of what's going on, and how the physiology is going to lead to the psychological aspects of looking at food and looking at meals. The way in which we approach the reward response to eating is also going to dictate how I go about with my satiation versus my hunger response. And within that, because we have the interconnectedness between our brain activity, our cognitive functions, and our desire to eat or not eat, we have to look at the regulation of food, not just based off of the hormone responses coming into play for regulating am I hungry, am I full, but also the psychology taking place in how is the food I'm eating presenting And how is that presentation affecting my cognitive drive and my psychological want for food? And this goes into a little bit more of the discussion about when am I going to be hungry and when am I going to be full? And because of the way in which the psychology comes into play, the aromas, the sights, the sounds is going to be a psychological driver towards eating. And if I'm someone that's going to, say, have multiple meals in a day over the holidays, by skipping but still having the psychological drive to want to eat, I actually set myself up for failure in terms of the paying attention to my feedback loop to regulate how much am I going to eat. And so as I'm eating, we get these changes in hormone signals and we get changes in hormone signals. We get uh, reduction in uh, ghrelin and reduction in glucagon. We get increases in insulin. We get increases in GLP-1. We get increases in leptin. We get changes in oxytocin We get changes in uh, uh, gastrin proteins, all of those signals start to change the way in which the hypothalamus is functioning. And all those signals change the way in which the hypothalamus is functioning to cause a swing in my dopamine and in my serotonin levels. And that change in dopamine and serotonin levels will start to make me feel less hungry. And as I start to feel less hungry, I'm able to make the the compensatory thought to stop eating even with all of the other psychological drivers being present that make me want to eat, the sights, the sounds, the smells. But if I'm paying attention to that reward response that, okay, I've eaten, I've rewarded myself with food, I don't need to eat anymore. And so I stop eating and I push the plate away and I sit there and I socialize and I have my party time. We can do the same exact thing throughout the party with smaller portions of food that allow me to go ahead and get full, feel, feel satiated, eliminate my hunger responses by snacking over periods of time. And the snacking over periods of time might feel like I'm eating a lot of food because I'm eating over a longer period of time, but the amount of food might be very small even though it feels like I've been eating for a long time. And it goes into something that uh, was touched on in a discussion about food coma, and that's the lethargy that comes into play, the feeling of tiredness that comes into play following large meals. If I'm eating comfort food, I'm going to uh, feel at ease, and it's going to make me want to eat a little bit more at the very beginning, but it's going to make me feel full and it's going to put me at ease, and it's going to help me relax, and it's going to help me to to feel better faster. And so when we start looking at the way in which we regulate our eating, if we put ourselves in a position where we understand it's okay to eat the food that we're eating, it reduces the stress and the anxiety surrounding eating. And by reducing the stress and anxiety around eating, we're able to control the amount that we're eating. We're able to utilize our own physiology to slow slow ourselves down. We're able to utilize our own psychology to slow ourselves down. But the problem comes in when we start having external conversations. When we start having conversations about the wrongfulness about eating or the wrongfulness about having large meals or the wrongfulness about having multiple large meals. And when we start having that bit of conversation, the anxiety level around eating increases. And when the anxiety level around eating increases, we end up having a change in our psychology. And that change in psychology is going to attempt to alleviate the anxiety. And when we start to try to alleviate anxiety, we start having more roles of addictive behaviors come into play, more roles of reward center coming into play. The need to to get a reward response increases because we're trying to lessen the severity of the anxiety. And this is where we start having to worry about how we frame the discussion around food, particularly if we know somebody that happens to have a... Uh, Anxiety issue, an attention deficit issue, someone that uh, happens to have a, a body image issue, or someone that is trying to compare themselves with others based off of their body image. And to that latter point, to that last point about the body image issue, latest stats show that about 80% of the population is in some sort of comparison with others within the population as it relates to body image, which means that we are a majority of us, almost all of us, are susceptible to body image issues. This becomes uh, more important when we start looking at people who have a uh, dysmorphic problem with their body image, people who are displeased with their body image, because they're going to start to have those anxiety thoughts come into play. And so how can we go about controlling those anxiety thoughts so that we can minimize the negativity surrounding the meal. Allow ourselves to eat appropriate allow ourselves to feast appropriately. Allow ourselves to enjoy the social interactions appropriately without feeling some sort of negative idea or negative intent from the interactions we're having regarding the food that we're eating. These interactions can cause people to suffer anxiety around the food. When we start looking at the interactions we're having with our food, the level of anxiety that we have with the food, and particularly with the meal size, or the social pressure we have around the meal sizes that we're eating, can cause changes in our reward centers and changes within our responsiveness to the food that we're eating. This is where we have to remember a couple of key things. There's no such thing as good food and bad food there's just good choices and bad choices. One of the things that we don't want to do when we're making food choices, particularly around individuals that might have anxiety issues, is to indicate that the food that they're choosing is a bad food. It's this kind of phrasing that may lead to an increase in anxiety around the food. It may cause them to withdraw from eating specific types of food, even if that food may actually be a benefit for them metabolically. The other thing you need to be careful about discussing is the size of or the portion amount that a person might be choosing to eat. Just like with the type of food as being a good food choice or a bad food choice, the discussion surrounding the portion size can also cause adverse effects on the person where they may increase their anxiety level, may hide food and hide food portion or quote, sn- the snacks or sneak a meal so as to not be socially ostracized for having larger portion size, What we don't want to do is we don't want to elevate anxiety levels around food or around food choices or around food portions that will cause an increase in their anxiety around the food and can cause issues that may lead to eating disorder style behavior. At the same time, we don't want to have discussions around, as we stated earlier, pertaining to what you might do As a consequence, within such a, oh, it's okay for me to have this piece of dessert because I'm going to exercise tomorrow. What you're doing is you're seeing the person with anxiety issues up for a change in thinking, a change in cognition surrounding food, where they will feel anxious about eating the food because they may not have the opportunity to do the exercise that you are suggesting is necessary in order to offset the food that they are eating. This idea about food being offset by exercise is an incorrect view regarding food and an incorrect view about nutrition and nutrition balance relative to calorie and calorie balance based off of the misconception that calorie balance is necessary for weight maintenance or for weight loss. What we have for too long is utilized an incorrect idea about. Calorie in and calorie out as relates to body weight, body composition, and overall health. A pattern of thought that has elevated the risk for exercise bulimic behaviors in individuals that are at risk for succumbing to those types of eating disorder issues. What we want to make sure that we're doing when we're looking at meals and meal sizes, particularly around holidays, is to not elevate any level of anxiety with the meal, but utilize the meal as a social gathering. Utilize the meal as a way to enjoy people's time and people's company, not increase the level of anxiety that might come about through my viewpoint or your viewpoint surrounding what type of food a person should be eating or should not be eating, how much of a food someone should be eating or not eating, or whether or not a specific food is good for them or bad for them. One of the things you have to remember is that if I have in my mindset something as taboo, I'm more likely to attempt it than to not attempt it. Well, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you got a little bit out of the conversation here. Remember that when you are enjoying meals over the holidays, the way in which you frame the viewpoint about food and about food portions and about food choices will have a lasting impact, not just on yourself, but on those around you. Try to use a positive mindset when it comes to food and food choices. Try to be open and caring. Try to be willing to have conversations with people. Be empathetic to people that might have issues surrounding food anxieties. Be empathetic to people who feel like they have to constantly compare themselves to others, not just within their immediate households, within their extended families, but to society as a whole. We are all constantly comparing ourselves. and you need to have a healthy mindset, an open mindset, a caring mindset to ensure that you do not instill eating disorders or eating disorder-like behaviors on individuals within your family or within your close network of friends. Hopefully got a little bit out of this conversation. Please make sure that you are sharing out what we're putting out there, particularly this conversation here. If you have comments or questions about eating disorders, or if you might think you have an eating disorder, contact your personal care physician. If you're scared to contact your personal care physician, use any of the online resources that are out there. I've listed a few in the description for you to use if you so choose to use. them. The rise of body image issues has come about with the increased use for online video conversations. Remember that social media is not real life, and what you see people posting online is not what they may actually look like in the real world. Well, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more on similar topics. Please make sure you're giving us those five-star reviews. Make sure you're clicking that like and subscribe button to help us out with all the metrics and make sure that you're following us on all of the platforms that we are publishing on.